to lunch and packing his things up. And the teacher asked him, what are you doing? (laughs) And he said, I'm going home. She tried to explain to him that now that he was in first grade, uh, it was a longer day and that he'd go to eat lunch now and then come back and we'll do some more work in the room and, and then you'll go home. And little Ryan looked at her like he hoped that she was kidding. And when he saw that she wasn't, put his hands on his hips and demanded, well, who in the world signed me up for this program? (laughs) Ever feel that way about life? Who in the world signed me up for this? You know, the expected comes along, the challenges show up, the unpleasant surprises, the bad news, and we can wonder, what's going on? Why is this happening, and who in the world signed me up for this? For those of you who are our guests this morning, we have been going through the traditional Advent themes in this season, those traditions of joy and hope and peace that we heard so much about this morning and love. We hear those words often this time of the year, and and I think it's important for us to be clear about what those words mean. There's a tendency, I think, for all of us to hear those words joy and hope, peace and love, and make of them what we want them to be. But I think to do that is to set ourselves up, like little Ryan, for some frustration, to be surprised. And because, because the reality around us does not fit our expectations. And so our goal on these Sundays has been to give definition to joy, hope, peace, and love, these Advent themes, by seeing them through the lens of the Christmas story, which of course is a part of the larger biblical story of God's plan to redeem humanity. And so for just the few minutes that we have remaining this morning, I I want us to look more closely at what we've heard so much about this morning, the Advent theme of of peace, introduced wonderfully by by the kids. I think, just like joy and hope, two themes that we've already looked at together, I think there is a longing in our hearts for peace that I think is woven into the fabric of what it means to be human beings, fallen human beings, living in a broken world. I think of it sometimes as sort of this, this residual longing. It's, it's left over, if you will, from our lost Garden of Eden experience. Humanity was created by God. We were created for God. We were created to live in a relationship of, of amazing, magnificent peace with God and with one another. And yet, I think for most of us, we have that sense that Something is awry. Something is wrong. Something is out of whack. It was meant to be different than the way the world is. You know, there are numbers of definitions of peace. One is the normal, non-warring condition of a nation or a group of nations. An agreement or a treaty between warring or antagonistic nations. A state of mutual harmony between people or groups. The normal freedom from civil commotion and violence of a community, cessation of or freedom from any strife or dissension. I'm I'm struck by that word normal that they use in there, the normal non-warring condition, the normal freedom of civil. 
when is peace in our world ever normal? I don't know about you, but I, I, don't, I don't see that. I was talking with one of the dads in our congregation who has a house full of young children. Life is very busy. And I asked him, I said, is there ever peace in your home? He looked at me and he said, yeah, at night when the kids are all in bed and asleep. What comes to your mind when you hear the word peace? Are there circumstances in your life that you long to, to be different? Are there relationships in your life that, that you want to be peace-filled? It was an important part, as we heard this morning, of the angelic choir's announcement to those shepherds, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, I have to be honest, I wonder what the shepherds thought when they heard that. Peace on earth. Oh, good. One of them surely thought something like, finally, God is going to do something about the stinking Romans who oppress us and who who tax us and who are constantly lording their greatness over us. Finally, finally, peace on earth. God's going to get rid of the Romans. Do you suppose one of them thought, oh, good. Now my my wife is going to stop nagging me to get a better job. My, my kids are going to quit bickering and fighting. Finally, there's going to be peace in my life. I think that they would have been just like us. They would have immediately assigned the idea of peace to the circumstances in our lives, life's daily situations. And yet, the events and the circumstances that were a part of that night and that surrounded that night They just beg the question, what kind of peace were the angels singing about? You know, and I think that that there is sort of a sentimentality around the Advent season that has grown through the centuries that in in some way has has caused that whole night to almost take on mythical proportions, if I can say it that way. Something that that is is true in our minds, but not necessarily reality. The night that Jesus was born was anything but peaceful. It started with that explosion on the hillside that, uh, that just riveted the lives of those shepherds. And then there's Mary. Mary was in labor with no place to go to have a baby. And oh, she was a 14-year-old girl giving birth likely scared to death because her mom wasn't there. Maybe a midwife if there was one around. I'm not sure Mary had a whole lot of peace in terms of circumstances that night. How about Joseph? (laughs) Uh, He'd never done this before. Can you just imagine Joseph running around and pounding on all the doors in town, trying to find somebody to help, trying to find the necessary items? He doesn't really even know what those are. And, and the neighbors that Joseph didn't wake up may have been woken by the time Mary was done pushing the baby out. Animals were probably stirred up. Oh, and there's always the reality of the blood and 
the placenta. Okay, you get the picture. Peaceful night? Not likely. Not likely. And I hope I haven't ruined the, the, the birth, you know, and, and just kind of the mystique in, in your mind. But, and it could have been different. It, it could have. But it doesn't make any sense that it would be different from any other birth. And then you know the story, not long after the birth of Jesus, the family fled to Egypt because King Herod was trying to kill him. And oh, by the way, he slaughtered countless numbers of of male infants and toddlers in an effort to kill Jesus. Peace? Yeah. And how about Jesus' life? He grew up and led a life where a lot of people hated him. Because he lived and he taught things that were contrary to the status quo of his day. Peace? He hung out with the wrong crowd. Prostitutes and thieves and lepers. And he was always stirring up the authorities because of the way that he lived and because of what he taught. And as a result, they murdered him. And his followers scattered in fear. Peace. He rose from the dead, told his followers to go into the world and teach people about him, left the earth, and then 10 or 11 of them, as far as we know, of the original 12 were killed by the people who hated them and millions of followers of Jesus through the centuries have died because of him. Boy, this is a cheerful message, isn't it? But where's the peace? Where is the peace that the angels were proclaiming? I want us to stand and read just a couple of verses from Paul's letter to the Romans. It's another non-traditional Christmas text. I've been doing that to you this season. Written by Paul to followers of Jesus who were living in Rome, probably about the mid-century, mid-first century. And they were living under political conditions that were far from peaceful as as we might typically think of, of peace. So let's, let's stand in and read Paul's words together. <clears throat> Here we go. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord for us. Let's leave it up there for a minute. Go ahead, you can be seated. Paul's talking about a peace that defies and goes beyond the circumstances of our lives. He's saying that because of what God has done through his son, people can rejoice in in sufferings of all kinds. They can face difficult circumstances. They can rejoice because they have peace. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, a, a blessing and a privilege that comes to those who are the people of God, those who have been justified by God because of their faith in Christ. Don, let's put up the the next slide. 
Familiar words from the Christmas story. Heard them this morning. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Ah, so there, there's a little qualifier there. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests rests. So what peace are the angels talking about when they announce peace? I think they're looking into the future, 30 plus years, to the death and the resurrection of that baby born in the manger, knowing that he would become the sacrifice for the sin of all who would put their trust in him for salvation. Those on whom God's favor rests, Luke's record of the angel's words, are those who have been justified by faith. Paul's words. Same thing. The angels were were not announcing peace on earth. This, This condition of just no violence, no tension, no conflict, no war. No. They were announcing the possibility of peace for those who would put their faith in the Son of God who was born in the manger that night. They were announcing a peace of right standing to those who live on the earth. Right standing with God, you know, approximately five, six hundred years before the birth of Jesus, uh, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words. Can we put those up, Don? Surely, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. Isaiah, in the Hebrew language, would have been using shalom. That's the word that we translate peace. It's a word that honestly has very little to do with circumstances of life. But it has a whole lot to do with a person's response to those circumstances. A whole lot to do with with how we face and understand and live in the midst of those circumstances. Carries the sense of wholeness. Shalom has to do with wholeness and and healing, and well-being. It's the truth that drives that marvelous old hymn that we sing from time to time by Horatio Spofford. It is well with my soul when peace like a river attends my way, when storms like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, you, God, you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. He wrote those words after he had just received a message that his three daughters had drowned because the ship that they were on in the Atlantic had sunk. Peace in the midst of 
really painful circumstances. The peace that we hear and sing about at Advent has nothing to do with circumstances and the things that we so often want relief from. It didn't back then, and it doesn't mean that today. Because the reality, my friends, is the difficulties that we face in life, and some of them are huge indeed, but they, in reality, are small change compared to the thing that we really need relief from, and that was a broken relationship with the God who created us for Himself, who created us to live in relationship with Him for all eternity. That was lost when humanity turned its back on God. But God didn't turn His back on humanity. God sent His Son into the world to wrap Himself in our frail flesh, to walk among us and to become the perfect sacrifice for our sin. The only sacrifice that could satisfy the holiness of God and welcome lost and broken people back into the relationship for which they were created. Now, I don't know about you, but when I keep that clearly in mind, which I struggle to do on a daily basis, the stuff that I face is small change. Because in Jesus, God has granted me shalom. Created to live in relationship with God for all of eternity. That cannot happen for anyone apart from having faith in what Christ has done for us in his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave. I love what Michael Horton, he's a professor at Westminster, says, Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. He says, the gospel is not good instructions. It's not a good idea, and it's not good advice. The gospel is an announcement of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The gospel, my friends, exists because Jesus was born. Those upon whom God's favor rests are those who by faith accept the olive branch of peace that God extends to those who have lived their lives separate from Him. Those who have lived their lives apart from Him. Those who have lived their lives in a sense saying to God, I've got this. Don't bother me. <clears throat> and those who accept his offer of peace through his son, become his adopted children. I love that. I love that. The adoption of broken and lost people into the king's family, into the family of the one who created all things for himself. That's the kind of peace that the angels announced that's the kind of peace that God's people are the recipients of. Now, here's what I hope you don't hear me saying in this this morning, is that <clears throat> I don't want peace on earth. I know I've sounded pretty negative. I love the idea of peace on earth. 
The truth is, I long for peace on earth. There are, there are places in this world that I particularly just, just break down sometimes as I think about those who are living with such unrest and such pain and such cruelty and such violence. I do want peace on earth, as I know many of you do too. But we need to be clear that that's not what the angels were announcing that night. Nor do I believe it is what God has planned until until he rolls up the scroll of human history and we find ourselves living in what John called in his revelation the new heaven and the new earth. I don't expect peace on earth before then. But that doesn't mean that we don't long for it and that we don't even live our lives as if it could happen. So allow me to to close with two truth statements this morning that, that I hope sum up what I've said. The first is this, that peace on earth is not God's top priority. Jesus did not come to bring peace on earth. And in fact, when you read the teachings of Jesus, he warned those that would follow him that he would in fact be a source of tension and division between those who followed him and those who did not. Jesus is God's light in a dark world. You want to know who God is? Take a good look at Jesus. You want to know the character of the Father? Look at Jesus. And what's mind-boggling to me is that sometimes when the light is shined into the darkness, the darkness welcomes it with open arms, and there are other times when the darkness pushes back and wants nothing to do with it. Pushes back really hard against the light of God. And so I think that's where we need to to clearly understand that, that Jesus came to bring peace to the people who live on the earth, peace between themselves and God. And I believe that when people experience the shalom of God, that sense of, wow, I was created by God. I was created for God. But my sin and my rebellion broke that relationship and I didn't have a hope of doing what I was created for. But God in His love made a way. That's shalom. That is a sense of it is well with my soul in this life and for all eternity. And stuff around me is just coming unraveled. Stuff around me is hard. Painful circumstances, challenging, difficult stuff. But it is well with my soul because of what God has done. When people experience the shalom of God, I think they then have the potential to live all of life at peace with everyone. Think about it. 
When we talk about peace on earth, we think of no wars, no violence. Well, somebody's got to lay down the guns. Somebody's got to decide, you know what? I've had enough of this. This is not right, and I don't want to live this way any longer. Somebody has to suddenly be less concerned about self and more concerned about others. I don't think that that happens often apart from God's people who understand the shalom of God. And so we adjust our expectations. When God's people experience the shalom of God, they can live at peace with everyone because what others do or don't do, whether or not they live up to certain expectations or whether or not they behave as we think that they should, those things do not impact me as I live within the shalom of God. Truth number two. And praise team, why don't you come up and prepare to close us this morning. Though peace on earth is not the top priority of God, I do believe because God's people experience and live in the shalom of God, it ought to be a high priority in the lives of God's people. Don't confuse peace on earth and personal shalom with God, as I have suggested. One, one is fragile. Peace on earth is fragile. It's a temporal thing, but shalom with God is an eternal right standing with God that hopefully, hopefully flows out of God's people toward all who are in their lives, regardless of whether they're nice or not, regardless of whether they live the way I think they should or not regardless of whether their thinking is stupid or not. And quite frankly, I think a lot of people have stupid thinking. And so do you. So do you think that way, not so do you have stupid thinking. <laughs> but that's, that's where the shalom of God impacts our lives. Because this person has said something just outrageously dumb, and, and, and it's, it's suddenly a threat to me and all that I stand for. Oh, wait. Shalom, it's not a threat to me. I live secure in the shalom of God. It is well with my soul. And as a result of that, I can live that out in response to those who bug me. You remember Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5? Blessed are the peacemakers, he said, for they will be called children of God. Now, What he didn't mean was, if you are a peacemaker, you will earn the title child of God. The language is, if you are a peacemaker, again and again and again, in difficult circumstances, again and again and again, 
someone somewhere is going to look at you and say, wow, that person must be a child of God because they're just not normal. (laughs) Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Oh, there's one of God's kids. I can tell by the way he lives his life. I can tell by the way she lives in relationship to others. My brothers and sisters, peace on earth to those on whom God's favor rests. The great gift of shalom. It is well with my soul. For those of us who know that shalom, we have work to do. For those who may be here this morning who don't know that shalom, you have some learning to do. And my prayer would be that if you're here this morning and, and this idea of peace with God and relationship with God is, is, is new to you, I would hope that you wouldn't leave this morning without talking to me, talking to someone Learn more about what it means to have peace with God through His Son, Jesus, and to live into that peace. Amen.